0: Hi, I'm Heather Mulder. And I'm Janice Scrino And you're listening to Dementia Untangled, where we explore the topic of dementia through conversations with physicians, experts,
1: and community leaders. Our discussions focus on innovative ideas, practical strategies, and proven methods to guide caregivers along a supportive path. Hello, and
0: welcome to Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of our
1: podcast. Today, our conversation will be with Jan Doherty, an advanced practice nurse and dementia specialist. And we're going to be discussing travel and dementia. The changes that can happen to a person as dementia progresses can present a lot of complexities when you're considering traveling with the person. Things like becoming overwhelmed more easily or fatigued, leading to increased confusion, anxiety, or even resistance to travel. And really, I I want our listeners to consider travel in a larger context, not just vacations, but consider things like going to the doctor's appointment, going to the grocery store. When I reflect on our work with our Native American Outreach Program and just how very isolated some communities are, travel is really essential for day-to-day life. Simply going to the grocery store could be an hour-long car ride or more. Also consider travel when maybe there's resistance to going to doctor's appointments. But even the bigger picture too, I know of a lot of families who the person receives a diagnosis and they develop this bucket list What are the things we wanna be sure we do before we're not able to do them anymore? And I've heard many stories of success. One family who rented an RV and took their dream road trip across the Western coast of the United States. Another family planned a trip, their dream trip to Hawaii that they had always wanted to take. And shortly before the trip, the person with dementia started thinking that Hawaii had sank into the ocean. And after lots of prodding and cajoling, they managed to get the person on the plane, but they still were very stuck on this idea that Hawaii was not there anymore and ended up getting so panicked about it that they had to abandon this trip at the last minute. So I'm really excited to learn more from Jan, who can tell us some more strategies to consider both before, when we're pre-planning, during the trip and even after the trip to ensure success for both someone who's living with the disease and for those who care about them.
0: Heather, I think that you're so right that these strategies and planning are so important and so evident by the stories that you've told. And I know that there are so many benefits to traveling Um, and traveling to see family has been an important part of my life from childhood. In fact, I've got some upcoming travel and I'm so excited. I've been planning and thinking and wondering what we're going to do, where we're going to go, what I should bring. And as you know, Heather, traveling does come with stresses. Anything from bad weather to the question, are we there yet on those road trips? Now, imagine these stressors when and how they can be amplified when traveling with dementia. We are so privileged to have Jan
1: with us to share about how to travel well with dementia. Welcome, Jan. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. Well, thanks for having me today. Before we learn more about how to travel well with dementia, I would love for our listeners to learn a little bit more about your journey. Can you tell us what led you to connect with the dementia community and why are we talking to you about travel and dementia today?
2: Yeah, so I've been a registered nurse for many years and I did advanced uh, training in care of older adults, uh, gerontology, many, many moons ago because I uh, loved older adults. I had uh, Aunts and uncles, and I loved their storytelling and just thought old people were really cool. And so I chose to uh, focus in that area and quickly learned that uh, uh, Alzheimer's disease and related dementia was probably one of the biggest obstacles facing successful aging. And, you know, I've, I've been doing this work for many, many years and um, you know, developed uh, end of life care for people living with dementia, seeing that we could make life better, even for those folks. And then I uh, had the opportunity to join uh, actually the Alzheimer's Institute when it started in, in 2006, creating the family and communities team. And um, it was really in that work uh, as we would provide a new diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease or related dementia and and sit down and talk with the person and their family about what really mattered. We've learned time and time again that, um, yes, they might have a bucket list trip. They'd always dreamed of going somewhere, uh, and now would be the time to do that but more importantly, what we heard is, you know, I want to stay connected to the people I really love and care about, whether they were visiting uh, them in their location or family and friends were coming. And what I, I saw time and time again is when we had the opportunity to help uh, patients and families prepare, that travel was by far more successful and lasted longer than those who really didn't uh, get advice and and put in place strategies and often those travel and visits uh, unfortunately did not end well and unfortunately probably travel ended sooner than maybe it needed to do so. And I realized that there were, uh, you know, very brief things provided on on websites uh, like the Alzheimer's Association on travel, but they were really pretty limited. And so, as I looked ahead, uh, I was concerned. You know, I'm a boomer, so I'm in this next wave of people who very well could be developing Alzheimer's disease in the next, who knows, five, 10, 20 years. And travel is a big part of my life. And I thought, you know what? I want to write a book that is more comprehensive that will assist individuals living with dementia and their families to feel like they might better prepare and execute travel. So um, that's, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. We definitely have the right person
1: joining us for this conversation today. Can we just kind of level set for our listeners and start by telling us a little bit more about how dementia can impact travel?
2: Yeah, certainly can. Um, You know, there's so many changes in memory and thinking skills that are required from us uh, when we travel about, whether it be in the community. Again, I'm going to the grocery store. Do I have the visual spatial skills to remember how to get there? If Maybe I've got early disease and I'm still driving to what am I in the store for? Uh, When do I need to get those items and that sort of thing? So we see that during travel when you're having memory changes, especially those short term memory changes that can be quite demanding so if I'm traveling alone, for example, in an airport. um, What time does my flight leave and, and where's my gate, and how do I get there. Um, and uh, we often hear from airport employees that uh, there are people traveling alone uh, with dementia, and uh, I think families sometimes haven't thought about how their memory changes can really affect their ability to manage time, to figure out where they're going, to uh, to reason and make judgments, um, And just the the ability to process complex ideas. So when you think about travel or visiting family, well, it's kind of, when is that reunion gonna be happening? What time of day is it? And will I be ready? And what do I need to wear? All of those things create a level of complexity that you can see that it creates anxiety. And you know, it creates anxiety for people even without cognitive changes. So when we add a diagnosis of, for example, Alzheimer's disease, we can see where anxiety uh, can grow even greater.
0: You know, Jan, Heather was so right. It is evident that we are talking to the right person about this topic today. And I just want to take a moment and say thank you so much for your innovative and compassionate leadership in starting the Family and Community Services Program at Banner Alzheimer's Institute. And all the work that you've done bringing dementia-friendly communities alive, and I just appreciate your passion as well in your story. So talk to us
2: about the benefits of travel. You know, um, AARP uh, does quite a bit of work in the travel space, and a few years ago, I pulled one of their studies, and they looked at the change in health and well-being of people who were traveling. And it turns out that um, traveling is really good for our emotional well-being. And probably now more than ever, you know, we've had a couple years of being separated from people that we really love. And remember, that's still the number one pe- reason people travel is staying connected to family and friends. So the fact that it improves kind of how we feel about ourselves, our mental health, that it often provides a lot more energy. We get excited uh, when we go on trips and yes, we come home, fatigue, but it's a good kind of fatigue because we've had this wonderful opportunity to be with those uh, that we love. We find that many people sleep better on vacations, that they're sleeping longer. Uh, They often are eating better, uh, especially for people maybe who are living alone with dementia and aren't uh, eating like they used to, nothing like sharing a wonderful meal uh, in a new place or people we love. And so, uh, and it turns out that people are moving more also during their, uh, their, their get togethers, whether it be for pleasure travel or just uh, reuniting with friends and families. And what they also learned in this survey is that these uh, changes are sustained up to three months later. Isn't that exciting? to think that this uh, you know, week long trip that we take not only improves us in the now, but can maybe sustain us a bit longer. That is exciting. Yeah, it just uh, shows uh, that uh, travel is
1: good for our health. I think that's a really amazing statistic that the benefits of a trip can linger for three months afterwards. But I know a lot of families When we're considering travel, the first thing we really should consider is, should we really take this trip? Do you have some strategies that you could share for families to assess the risk and the benefit versus the goals
2: of the travel? Mm Heather, that's a really great question. I, I think this is really time to take an honest appraisal of the situation and uh, considering not only the person living with dementia, but you as a care and travel partner, what's that going to look like for you? So I think um, as we consider the person you care about, you know, um, do they want to go? Um, will they remember the people who they're going to see? Um, should you include them in, as part of the travel planning because it could increase anxiety so in the past they would have loved it but now it's just uh overwhelming and and they'll shut down the trip when if in fact maybe you didn't include them you just provided oh it's it's going to be really exciting that we're going to see family soon keeping it somewhat general Again, can the person living with dementia handle the travels or the demands of travel? So, for example, recently I was contacted by a gentleman who wanted to drive his wife back from Florida to Minnesota and was going to take five days to do that. And she had fairly progressing uh, dementia and, you know, we started chatting. Well, how does she sleep at night? Well, not very well. And you're going to be doing the driving, driving. That's the kind of the demands of travel would just be too great on her creating more and more confusion. On the other hand, if maybe they were going to go get on a cruise ship and and sail around the Caribbean for seven days and, and keep a tight routine that was like home, that might work. Again, are symptoms uh, managed well at home? So if you have someone who's confused uh, during the day or maybe after coming home from the grocery store or a doctor's appointment, it's probably gonna be more difficult to travel with that person or if they're easily frightened or upset or frustrated, that's going to certainly be more stressful on you as well And then as a care partner you know how do you do uh, in terms of uh, handling crisis situations so if you show up at your location and there's no rental car you know do you have the ability to maintain your calm because remember if you get upset your loved one is going to mirror exactly what they see in you. Do you find yourself embarrassed about your loved one's uh, condition? Um, Do you feel like you have to uh, correct them, that um, you just can't accept the changes that you're seeing in them? That's probably not going to be comfortable for you, and it certainly won't be comfortable for your loved one. Again, are you willing to adapt to changes are you flexible in your ability to manage the things that can happen during travel. And will you be open to others helping you because if you're resisting help from others well that's not going to help you and it certainly isn't going to help the person you care about. And then finally, I think just looking at your overall health. Uh, is it, is are your other chronic conditions, uh, well controlled? And if yes, then, um, I think it's v- fair to think about, uh, planning that trip or planning the visit that others are going to make to see you. I like that idea. Um, and
0: I'm wondering if you can just talk to us about, other good options. And when you decide and determine that, you know, traveling really isn't a good option for us
2: you know I think there's there's some things that can still happen if we come back to the major reason that people travel and by this by the way this is many younger adults as well is to stay connected with people we love then it's time to begin those discussions with family and friends to say you know as much as we would love to make this trip it's really just too much at this point. But you know, we would love to see you and we'd love for you to come and see us. And so we began that discussion and again, begin to plan for it with having some pretty transparent discussions about how things have changed, not focusing on loss, but where there are strengths and how we're supporting that person to be their very best. Because without that information, family and friends are really blindsided when they come to visit or we go to visit them. And so we begin to really plan, plan, plan for what that visit's gonna be like when people come to see us and think about how is it we're gonna keep that daily routine going so my person is their very best while while maybe our adult children and grandchildren come to visit, how I can be um, helpful and letting them know on how to respond to maybe the changes that they're now seeing uh, in person that they didn't get over a telephone call. And so I think these same sort of principles apply even for in-person visits.
1: I think those are all really good options, but what if we decide that travel is possible, but I'm dealing with this in my family now where it's difficult to even get the person to the car. They start resisting a trip. Do you have strategies for how to communicate or how not to communicate or just dealing with that potential resistance
2: when leaving the home? Yeah, those those become really challenging, don't they, Heather? And I think, you know, one of the things we don't want to do is pre-announce something that we're going to get a no to. So we have to learn how to provide a directive invitation. So rather than saying, even, um, shall we go to the grocery store now, which is gonna be met with a no, or uh, something like, hey, um, let's, uh, what do you think about us going to lunch today? Again, the person is likely to say no, because they're overwhelmed by, you know, where are we going and and have I been there before? And do I like the food? And, and I'm really confused about all of this. Can we afford it? And do I have to change my clothes? So you can see why no comes out, that oftentimes an invitation come join me, we're gonna take a little ride now. Where are we going? Well, it's gonna be lots of fun and we're gonna have a good time. So we wanna keep things much more general, kind of being in the moment, not pre-announcing that what's gonna happen tomorrow. In fact, we often find that that families make that mistake to saying, hey, Jimmy's gonna come to visit us. This is that great news. Well, the problem is now the wife is gonna say, when is Jimmy coming? When is Jimmy coming? And and rather than creating Excitement, we've created anxiety. So, we really have to watch for that pre announcing. We have to be prepared for how we're going to keep that person moving forward as we get out and we get into the car again. This person now has growing anxiety. And now's our time to recognize, first of all, that I see that you're anxious. And, um, I, I'm just so glad you're with me today because we're gonna have a great time. So now we have to move our subject matter to a place where a person is gonna be more comfortable. But I certainly would acknowledge that you're feeling anxious. I see you look a little worried, but we got everything under control, it's all good. And I just love when we're together. And so we're trying to provide a lot of support as well as providing distraction as we're changing the topics to things that are going to make this person far more comfortable. But we're also going to use this as a, as a gauge to say, you know, this is now becoming way too demanding for this person. Again, should I be taking someone out? when it's creating so much anxiety and so much stress for them, or is it time for me to bring things now home to them? So now we're talking about a person, maybe where the demands of all of this is just too great. And you know, if the demands become too great for that person, they're going to be too much for you as a care partner. I mean, there's only so much humanly that we're able to do and and I see this and so many partners who are trying so hard to do this heroic work when in fact perhaps it's a signal that now we've moved to another phase of this condition and we're going to have to again uh, just reorder how things happen within our day. But thankfully for many, many people for a long period of time, they are able to get out and about in their own communities. And they are able to get to in a car and maybe drive north to see family and friends or maybe spend a short weekend or even get on a plane and take a longer trip. Jan, those were such excellent tips. And
0: when. We do travel when that decision is made. Hey, we are going to take this trip. What are some other successful travel tips that you might have?
2: Well, I think uh, after you've taken an honest appraisal of the situation um, and what's going to be needed in order to make this trip successful again, whether uh, it is you're doing a pleasure trip or whether you're visiting with family and friends, you know, planning is is really important. So obviously during travel, taking the quickest route of getting from point A to point B is is really important. So as you're booking travel, um, looking at not so much price, but thinking about kind of time of day and how can I get there with the least amount of connections uh, feasible becomes really important we want to think about um, how to incorporate uh, the daily routine into travel, especially when there's time changes. So oftentimes I see uh, when we arrive at our destination, especially with family and friends, you know, we've got people in the airport to greet us and then we want to come home and we of course love to join over a meal and yet um, the person is exhausted and what they really need is to just have a very quiet dinner with maybe one or two people and then call it quits for the evening. know, we want to figure out how are we going to plan rest periods into our travel and do family and friends even know that we need this downtime that the person living with dementia must have quiet time, whether it be a nap or whether it just be uh, a a time sitting out on the patio with, with no input, if you will, coming in. We have to figure out how are we going to flex when things don't work right. So uh, whether it be with family and friends or, uh, you know, if I'm booking a, a trip of some sort and I want to book an excursion, maybe I'm doing a seven day Caribbean cruise. What are my options if uh, I, I, my husband wakes up and he's clearly having a bad day? Can I get out of it? Can I get refunded for that? Again, I think a a really, really important part of planning for travel is being honest and letting others know how they can support you. So that even begins with uh, ticketing uh, uh, with an airline. Most people don't know that airlines uh, provide accessibility And we often think about accessibility to wheelchair users, but the reality is when we're living with a cognitive impairment, we need accessibility. We need added support for our cognition to make things worse. And so this means that we can get priority boarding. It means that when we book our tickets that we can get priority seating because that becomes really important where we sit in an aircraft and and easy access on and off and that sort of thing. It also means that uh, if I'm traveling with family members that I'm very specific to knowing how they can support me and my person. So if I have a a loved one and let's say I'm staying with my adult children. And I know that at home, my wife uh, shows symptoms of sundowning right she gets more agitated and antsy just physically restless around four o'clock in the afternoon. this is what I do to help her feel comfortable and stay calm during this period. And so I think that the more information we can supply to the people who are going to be with us, the better we can plan ahead for that. Um, So those become really important uh, aspects is the planning, 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 and always having a, a plan B. You know, I'm reminded of a, of a, a woman I spoke with who took her mom uh, to Boston for a trip, and they were going to go see family, and, and day one went to, went quite well, and then uh, came that nighttime, and mom was up uh, putting on her eyebrows, but she was putting on her eyebrows with a bold ballpoint pen and not her eyebrow pencil. And mom was profoundly confused. And uh, the next day they tried the visit with the family and things didn't go so well. So instead of carrying out the seven day trip, the daughter said, you know what? It's time for us to get a ticket and go back home because clearly mom was far more comfortable. So it's that kind of flexibility that allows us to put into play those things that we need to do to take care of this person that we love and to also take care of ourselves. Because again, what's happening to the person is gonna happen to you as a care partner. So if they're anxious, you're anxious. If they're unhappy, you're unhappy. And so we really have to monitor that closely as we think about our planning. Oh, Jan, I think you gave us some gems in there the fast, take the fastest
1: route when we're traveling and really consider the time of day, incorporate the routine that the person is used to as much as possible, factoring in rest periods and fatigue, remaining flexible. um, And then probably most importantly, letting others know how they can be helpful, letting others know what's important to the person. I think Along those same lines, we talk a lot about having realistic expectations of this person. Can you tell us a little bit more about how, as a care partner or a travel companion, we can have realistic expectations?
2: Yeah, you know, Heather, that's a really important thing is... figuring out what's going to be good enough because things have changed. The reality is that a diagnosis of dementia just does change things that people's abilities have changed and it doesn't have to be in a bad way. This shouldn't be taking score and ticking off all the boxes that are no longer, but also taking inventory of what is possible now and really incorporating that as you plan to think about what will be good enough. So um, because the person maybe can no longer travel doesn't mean that family can't come to you. And, and we're, so we're resetting that expectation. And yes, mom might quickly forget even once the visit was done, but during those days of the visit, it was good. And so we have to decide, um, you know, does this person have the capacity to really go? And rather than being on a treadmill, um, you know, we're gonna just take each day as it comes. We're gonna have kind of a general outline, but you know, we've prepared our other family for what this might look like. So let's say a family decides to have a reunion in Hawaii. This looks like the, the best time for us to travel with dad. Well, you know, dad has a bad day and we thought we would swim with the dolphins today, but you know what? Turns out maybe it's not a great day. So I'm calling ahead to see, can I rebook it sometime else in the week? And instead, you know what? We're having a wonderful day at home and and we're playing a card game with dad and reminiscing and keeping him comfortable and maybe we decided to go out to eat but things didn't work out quite that way well you know this is why we got a, a vacation rental so we could make a meal at home so it's setting up those kinds of expectations that provide the adaptability and the flexibility and not being so hard on ourselves if things go wrong. Look, we all have bad days, even without cognitive impairment. And we have to recognize that um, as care partners, we're doing our very best. And then our, our loved one living with dementia is trying to do their very best to live in the here and now. And so our ability to manage expectations and be flexible, and adapt to whatever presents us is what's going to create the best trip ever. And again, you know, I say this to people who are traveling in general. Right now, travel is is quite challenging. Right, we're, we're all seeing this on the news. There's not enough rental cars, and 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 you know, things can run amok. But if we can take a step back and take a breath and think, okay. How can I adapt this situation so it can still be successful? We'll find success in it. And we have to recalibrate, I think, each and every day, just like we do at home, finding what works. Again, that trip to the grocery store might work better uh, mid-morning than it does at three o'clock in the afternoon, or we learn what are good times for people to visit, or what are good strategies to get the person out of the house, All of those same things get incorporated when we think about travel. Jan, I love how you shared
0: that it's important for us to reset our expectations. And in caring for um, our loved one who's living with dementia, we're actually caring for ourselves. And it reminds me of your amazing book, Travel Well with Dementia, Essential Tips to Enjoy the Journey. I have read it cover to cover and shared it. And just thank you for all that you have poured into this and for providing this incredible resource to the dementia community.
2: Well, it was it, it's my pleasure. Thank you for your kind words about the book. I, again, my goal was that people wouldn't stop uh, connecting with people they love in the world around them too soon just because they have a diagnosis of dementia. And, you know, as care partners, uh, we know it's, it's a 24-7 job uh, that doesn't get a lot of recognition and praise. And so one of the things I would say to care partners is how important travel is for you as individuals, especially as the disease continues. Look, we're, we're talking about caring for people who live on average some five to eight years following a diagnosis of 24-7 care. And, um, you know, you need to stay connected to the people you care about. So I think one of the, you know, setting expectations and creating really realistic expectations around travel is what's realistic for you and how do you communicate that? So I think celebrations are so utterly important um, to enjoy with family and friends. You know, these high school graduations and weddings and even memorial services for people that we've lost. You as a care partner have a right to be there and to go. Now, this is where oftentimes family and friends, they don't get it. So unless you're caring for a person 24-7, you know, they don't know unless they come and and give you a reprieve for a couple of weeks, they're not going to get it. So this is where you have to say, you know, it's okay for me to go. Um, It's really important for me to be present at this uh, this gathering, or it's really important for me to get away for self-care. I need to go check into a spa for five days and just care for myself because I feel my health and my mental health is changing. And so I begin the communication uh, with family to say, you know, dad can't join us for the wedding. Um, you know, he's he's too confused. He's easily upset, easily confused when we leave the home. So I know when we leave the home setting, it's going to be that much more difficult. And so I'm making the decision to come alone. Um, and then comes the part of getting the right care in place, whether you find A family member who can come and stay which is lovely but we have to really detail them what it is dad's going to need and what to expect or whether we hire through a home care agency a companion who can come and stay 24 7. and i've had many care partners who choose to uh, use a residential setting whether it be an assisted living or maybe a small group home and they check that person in for the seven days that they're gone. And surprisingly, uh, what often I found happens is that they come back and maybe their person is irritated for a couple days but uh, because they didn't get to go along. But luckily, they rapidly forget about that. But more importantly, what they've learned is that they're Their loved one actually has transitioned into this setting and done pretty good, which means that uh, they could very well consider taking a break again. And so I think care partners should think about the importance of travel and staying connected for your health and well-being. Hey, we don't want you to die in the course of caring for this person you love and they wouldn't want it either. We want you to survive and we want you to thrive and thriving means that we have to take care of ourselves and we need to allow ourselves to stay connected and enjoy these moments with family and friends while we can as well.
1: So Jan, that was like a really perfect final thought. I normally cue it up with what's your final thought. Did you have anything else you wanted to add?
2: No, I would just say, you know, don't, don't shortchange yourself or your person. In my experience, uh, people travel quite well into the very moderate stage of the illness. And a lot depends on you as a care partner being prepared and having a spirit of adventure and uh, longing for this connection. And don't forget the importance of living in the moment, you know, just enjoying the now and, and seeing your person in a light that sometimes only happens when we get out of the doldrums of the day to day. And look at the success that you're creating for yourself. You are a resilient, amazing care partner, creating these experiences that will provide lasting memories for you and for your family and friends. And yeah, provide uh, momentary memories, but important memories for this person who's living with dementia. So make travel happen. I hope that you can travel well uh, with your person with dementia. Today, our conversation has been with Jan Doherty,
1: an advanced practice nurse and dementia specialist, as well as author of Travel Well with Dementia. Jan, we really appreciate you helping us untangle
2: travel and dementia. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time of being with you and connecting with your listeners.
0: Thank you so much, Jan. And thank you, Heather, for another great conversation. And thank you to you, our listeners. We're so glad you joined us. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast. I'm looking forward to our next conversation on dementia untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of dementia untangled. Be sure to subscribe on Apple podcasts. Google Play, Spotify, or wherever
1: you listen to podcasts. Dementia Untangled is hosted by Heather Mulder and Janice Greeno, produced and edited by Amber Ayers, and is brought to you by Banner Alzheimer's Institute and Banner Sun Health Research Institute. We are supported by generous donations to the Banner Alzheimer's Foundation. Please visit our website at banneralz.org and follow us
0: on Facebook to learn about upcoming events. If you have questions or comments, please email us at dementiauntangled at bannerhealth.com.